0: This podcast episode is brought to you by IronSource. IronSource are not a spinach-based nutrition company, as their name might suggest, but are actually a game tech company which builds technologies that help you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor of Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on over to ironsource.com, ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. On the podcast today, we have myself, Joe Kim, as well as Josh Burns, who will be helping us spearhead a new series called the Market Series. And so, Josh, can you tell us a little bit about what this new series is all about and then our first market and first guest host?
1: Definitely. You know, in my work, I focus a lot on uh, helping companies in the West understand uh, international markets. Even though we're 10 years into this, uh, this sort of smartphone gaming space, uh, there's still a huge lack of and gap of knowledge about various foreign markets. So I think the goal is hopefully to share uh, information via experts uh, who are in the market and know more than, uh, than than any of us. You know, we're gonna start today with Japan, which is obviously a you know powerhouse uh, in terms of mobile gaming, but, uh, in a very interesting and unique market. And, um, we've started here to, you know, who is the foremost expert, uh, on this market, as far as I'm concerned and, uh, you know, really looking forward to getting into the details and kind of getting the latest updates, especially. Let's do an, uh, an introduction of himself. Um, and then we can jump into the questions.
2: Yeah, first of all, thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me, uh, you know, on your show. Um, And, uh, you know, I myself, I'm based in uh, Tokyo since uh, 2004. So it it has been a while. So it's almost like 16 years now, uh, uh, you know, that I've been living here in this uh, in this country. And I've been uh, consulting on the business side. Uh, to uh, game developers uh, on the Japanese market uh, since around uh, 2010, so it's it's about a decade. Uh, it's about a decade of uh, consulting work uh, that I've been doing for uh, game developers that are interested in the Japanese uh, market. Uh, sometimes Japanese game developers that want to go out of the Japanese market and you know expand into international markets. Um, so that's one side of my business. The second uh, side of my business is institutional investors uh, that are interested in mostly the publicly traded uh, gaming companies that we have here on the uh, in the Japanese market so there's about it depends on your definition of what a game developer actually is or how much of a you know, how much of the business should be games and then you know uh, and then uh, you know what you would call a game developer based on that but it's around 40 to 50 uh, publicly traded uh, game companies that we have mostly on mobile um, so uh, I basically you know cater to to the to to these two, um, you know, client groups, institutional investors, but also game developers. Um, and since 2013, I've been, doing, uh, I've been doing that with my own consultancy that I've uh, set up here in uh, Tokyo.
0: And so maybe we could go ahead and jump into the questions, but I thought we could start Sirkan, with like a high level picture of the Japanese market. Could you characterize sort of the overall growth of the market or potentially lack of growth? And just to give a little bit of context, when I was working at Sega a few years back, there seemed to be some concern about the domestic mobile market growth in Japan. And really, at that time, there was kind of a desire to potentially try to put more focus and emphasis on expanding more internationally, just because there was kind of the fear that the domestic market was going to begin to decline. So what's the current state of the Japanese market? Mm. Uh, it's, it, yeah
2: so, so that's a very interesting uh, you know point that you brought up. Uh, so uh, d- but roughly speaking, you know, the Japanese uh, game market overall every, so all, all of the pillars of the gaming industry included is that uh, you know depending on which data provider you believe and depending on the currency conversion it's about 14 billion 13 billion 15 billion US roughly in that ballpark. Of that around 9 to 10 billion is mobile. So, you have, uh, so I would say that, you know, one unique thing about the Japanese uh, gaming market is that it's so heavily, uh, you know, tilted towards the mobile side of course it's also mobile is also big in the US and in China uh, but uh, for example you know the, the, the two other markets in the world uh, you know uh, uh, that we have uh, and Japan is the number three um, and, but the point that I'm trying to make is uh, you know the the uh, the distance that mobile has uh, you know to to the other t- two big platforms that we have in gaming uh to pc and and uh, and uh, console is n- uh, is uh, not as wide in the US as in China so you still have a ver- in China for example you still have a relatively healthy PC gaming market in in America you know people still spend money on console games on PC games here in Japan you know disrupted is too strong of a word but mobile has absolutely taken uh, taken over uh, the gaming market that's the point that I'm trying to make so 70 uh, 70 uh, cent of every dollar spent here in Japan uh, is going uh, to a mobile game developer and, uh, wow. um, and I think that's uh, really unique about the Japanese uh, uh, gaming market. Having said that, uh, you know, all the data providers that we have here uh, are, um, you know, are for, uh, forecasting for the, for the next couple of years that the growth is going to be relatively flat at around 9 to 10 billion uh, US dollars uh, every
0: year. Got it. It's flat. And based on the market being relatively flat, have you seen a lot of Japanese developers starting to internationalize or start to focus more efforts on outside of Japan markets? Uh, yes. So it's really interesting.
2: So you, what you mentioned about Sega, so around uh, 2010 and 2011, you know, you, 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 two, uh, you two know this very well, I think, but also a lot of the, a lot of the listeners, uh, you know, uh, DNA and grief the two Japanese game companies that actually pioneered mobile, uh, free-to-play mobile gaming globally. You know, these guys were the first out of the gate with that kind of business model on feature yeah. phones back then in Japan. They thought that uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, the market growth in Japan is over. They thought, you know, that they skimmed the market, that they're, they're absolutely dumb. It's, it was a duopoly back then. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, they had the platform, uh, they controlled the platforms on feature phones back then. Um, and they thought the uh, domestic growth for mobile gaming in Japan around 2009, 2010 is over. So they expanded very aggressively internationally. So I don't want to go into a history lesson, but you know they spent a lot of money and you know things like that. <laughs> and it, it, and to make a uh, to make a long uh, story short, I think that pretty much everybody, including the companies themselves, agree that you know this ended in a catastrophe for them. Uh, you know, right. from a financial perspective. Uh, nowadays, uh, I would say there's a second wave of internationalization because, as you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, you know the Japanese game developers know that the Japanese game market is limited in size and in scope. Uh, you know the population is graying um, and shrinking at the same time. Uh, so from a from a, from a long term point of view, they have to go out of the market. Um, so there's a second wave of internationalization, I would say. But the second wave of interna- internationalization is uh, is different from the first one um, with regards to two things. One is the level of aggressiveness in terms of investment. So you don't see, you know, uh, DNA agree or, you know, any of the other big mobile or video game developers go out to Silicon Valley and buy, you know, uh, uh, studios there for 200, 300, 400, 500 million US. So you don't see that kind of, uh, uh, kind of aggressiveness in spending in, in, in M&A. And the second point is, and this is connected somewhat to the first point, is that, you know, internationalization is uh, being taken home. Right. So all of these guys, Sega, you know, DNA and GRI, you know, that that kind of uh, that kind of international business that, you know, these companies are uh, are uh, are uh, still uh, operating is operated uh, from their home bases in uh, Tokyo.
0: Right. Certainly the, the market is relatively flat, but are there any smaller sub segments of growth in these categories where, you know, whether it's like hyper casual or some other area that is growing within Japan?
2: Uh, yes, so I think that you know overall, because you mentioned hyper casual, I think that you know for a lot of the listeners, I think it's a it's a must uh, it's a must hear uh, you know at least from my perspective that uh, the Japanese market in terms of genres in terms of what you call sub segments is very different from the rest of the world. Um, so you know hyper casual is big you know in, in the West a lot of people are you know they are like they are burning through these games like there's no tomorrow. You know yeah. that's why you have uh, companies like Voodoo, for example. You know, and like so many hyper casual games. Uh, are, you know, typically dominating the free download rankings. Here in Japan, you know, that genre exists. Uh, there are some games also from the West. You know, people are downloading them. People like them. You know, at, to some extent, and you know they're playing them. But I would say it's nowhere close to uh, to to the uh, to the attractiveness of high, of the hyper hyper casual category in the West at the moment. You know, now it's 2020, um, and I would say I would say. That that you know the one subsegment that is uh, really big at the moment, that is relatively new, is a battle royale. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of battle royale, it's not Fortnite. It's a Chinese-made game called Knives Out from NetEase right. uh, that is a dominating uh, dominating the landscape in that in that uh, subsegment. Uh, but uh, I, apart from that, I would say uh, it's still gacha-driven games. It's still puzzle uh, puzzle games. It's, uh, it's still role-playing games that you know studios still keep pumping out uh, uh, you know uh, to to the local or, uh, audience.
0: Right. You had mentioned that 70 cents of every dollar flows to mobile. Now that remaining thirty cents, can you comment in terms of the, what what are those other platforms in terms of like PC relative to various consoles or whatever?
2: Yeah, so I would say that you know uh, the console market is uh, is of course you know the second biggest platform in Japan, uh, and here uh, uh, Nintendo at the moment dominates. Uh, so right. I, I would actually say that if Nintendo didn't launch a, a you know hit product with the Switch. Um, here, uh, here in Japan, also globally, uh, I would say that the video game market would be even in a, in a, in a worse state than it already is um so uh, so i think that you know nintendo's uh, market share in the video game market uh, in the video game space here in japan is around 70, 70 75% or something like that they have like a wow. ridiculous ridiculous market share i'm talking about 2019 now ridiculous right. market share here here in japan so people are buying the switch like crazy um and uh, the playstation 4 of course you know it's aging you know it's it's going towards it's uh, towards the end of the life cycle um and the pc market is so small that you know um uh, not really. Many data providers are actually sharing a lot of data uh, data about it. Um, so I would I would estimate that the PC gaming market is one one and ha- one and a half billion US or something like that. So it's about okay. ten fifteen. Uh, uh, or if if you really want to be generous, maybe twenty percent of what mobile generates, but not a lot more.
1: One follow up. I'm just curious. Why is that? Is that I mean, my assumption is it's not like a, a hard you know hardware issue in terms of like having PCs or something like in China, but is it just the content is not, you know, appealing or why is PC just never sort of gotten more traction or lost traction, I guess?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the the PC is a gaming platform in Japan. You know, people know that, you know, you can play uh, cool games on the PC, you know, you can can, uh, hyper optimize them, you know, things like that. But I think that the answer to your question is more cultural. Uh, I think that, you know, if you look back uh, at the 1980s, 1990s, uh, you know, where are the, all the big console manufacturers coming from? They're all Japanese, right? Sega, Nintendo, Sony, even, you know, uh, uh, Panasonic, NEC, you know, all of these guys, you know, were manufacturing consoles back then. So they cultivated, uh, cultivated a certain console gaming culture that I think is still dominating uh, until uh, until today. Um, you know, actually gaming in Japan began on PCs. So you're still in the ni- early 1980s, you, you had a booming gaming. Uh, PC gaming uh, scene here in Japan but uh, you know the Famicom came and then the Super Nintendo came and then again uh, some other Japanese manufacturers came up with their own consoles Uh, and I think that you know uh, uh, that's a very unique um, unique, uh, unique Japanese thing that there's a, again, that there's a certain culture that you know, uh, Sega, Nintendo, and uh, Sony in particular were very clever in cultivating over the last couple of decades. Again, it's not that you know, nobody is playing games on the PC in Japan, um, but uh, the, the market is much, much smaller when you compare with uh, mobile um, and even much smaller when you compare to console. It's not a very popular gaming
0: platform. Right. In terms of like some of the blockbuster mobile hits, I mean, here in the States, we've heard of some of them like Monster Strike and Puzzle and Dragons and some of those hits that have actually crossed over into the West and in, into the US. But can you tell us about what are the other hits that we should be aware of that are kind of big in Japan, but you know haven't crossed over or just aren't within the, the Western cultural context?
2: Uh, yeah, so Puzzle and Dragons came out in February 2012. Uh, You know, Monster Strike was pushed out by Mixi in fall 2013. So these are the two most iconic mobile games that we have in Japan. Um, and you know these will be remembered even in 20 or 30 years as the you know the first two big games right. that we had on smartphone devices, uh, and still people are playing them, uh, uh, are playing them, and also um, also paying for them. Uh, so in 2018, newer numbers are not ready yet, are not out yet because you know it's early 2020, you know where we're having this interview, but in 2018, Monster Strike made almost 850 million US, and Puzzle Puzzle and Dragons made 440 million US, and that's just one country. Only in Japan, um, so uh, they are not really losing uh, dramatically losing steam over time in terms of monetization. But uh, squeezed into these into these uh, two games is a uh, uh, Fate Grand Order from uh, from uh, so from the Sony Studio Aniplex. Uh, it's not actually a studio; it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's basically like a um, entertainment company. So they do music and you know animations and you know uh, and uh, you know uh, cartoons and you know all of those things. But they're publishing. Um, a publishing Fake Grand Order, which is, you know, a role-playing game. It's out in English. Everybody can play that. Uh, a, 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 the story is a little bit, you know, a, a, it's, 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 behind, it's, behind the, it's behind the Japanese original story, but it's a story-driven role-playing game. It's a gacha game. That's what it is. And that game made uh, in 2018, uh, it made $800 million US. So I would say that when you talk about the Japanese game market, it's these three big games, um, and then there's a certain gap Um, And I would say that uh, Knives Out from NetEase, the Battle Royale game that I mentioned, is coming up as the fourth game in terms of making money.
0: Are there any other titles that might be kind of on the horizon or emerging that uh, we should look out for? Uh,
2: Yeah, I would say that uh, the one title, uh, you know, in this context is uh, Dragon Quest Walk from uh, Square Enix. Um, So Square Enix is the publisher, Kolopol. Uh, Colopal, Colopl C O L O P L is it's another big uh, you know uh, publicly traded mobile game developer uh, that we have here. They actually pr- produce the game. They're so uh, they're operating the game. It's basically uh, what people call a Pokemon Go. Clone uh, based on the Dragon Quest uh, on the Dragon Quest IP. It's a totally different game, actually. But uh, you know, it, 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 to make it short, people are calling it the Pokemon Go clone for <laughs> Dragon Quest uh, Dragon <laughs> Quest fans. And this that one is uh, that one is a big one. So uh, you know, right. uh, Square Enix uh, published it a couple of months ago, uh, in late 2019. And as we speak, it's, it's I think it's still one of the top three uh, grossing uh, games in Japan on both iOS and uh, Android i'll ask a couple follow-ups
1: kind of leading into the sort of discussion of the local companies so i think one topic that's you know definitely comes to mind is you know you have like a mixy and uh you know um gung-ho with these sort of breakout hits that sort of defined you know the market for a period of time and um and then it's you know haven't been able to sort of follow up with any um anything really from what i've seen again i'm obviously a world away i mean you know, can you talk about some of the, you know, how are these guys working to build like new content that can, you know, match the success? I mean, obviously we're in a hit driven business, but um, you know, when I, when I look at their, you know, app store accounts and stuff, I don't see them even, you know, testing games or, you know, trying stuff out. So I'm just curious kind of like, you know, a lot of these guys have haven't been able to sort of follow up um, with the next, thing that's even maybe
2: you know even second tier to their head. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you've seen? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so so what you mentioned is is a very uh, popular topic with institutional investors, you know that uh, you know look for the for the next growth driver for these for these companies and uh, you know when I'm in a snarky mood I'm telling them, you know, look these two companies uh, are basically one game management companies. Because this is what they essentially, from a commercial perspective, this is what they are. You know, it's, they are publicly traded. You know, you can look into the financial uh, financial data. Uh, you know, the, uh, all the money comes from these games. Um, and all the other, you know, uh, smaller games and other businesses that, that they are operating are basically like, uh, they're only like uh, generating loss for, for these companies. So they actually would make, uh, would, uh, you know, would uh, uh, perform better from a financial perspective if they, uh, if they just operated uh, these two games and did nothing else. Um, um, and I would say that the answer to your question is what uh, uh, that Ganghu and Mixi are two totally different companies, so Ganghu has always been uh, a game company. This is a real studio where, where there 's a, a DNA where people are uh, are are all about games um, and you know they never ventured into uh, uh, you know um, into taxi services, for example, like DNA did. Uh, they never ventured into uh, into real estate portals like GRI did. Uh, they never ventured into uh, uh, venture. Uh, you know, venture capital uh, is, is something that uh, that both GRI, uh, DNA and a couple of other mobile game companies are also are also doing here in Japan. I mean, imagine Zynga in the United States becoming a VC but this is this is what uh, this is what uh, several mobile game companies are doing because uh, they struggle with finding a follow up success to the to the uh, to the big game that defined them but I think that gangho uh, again it's an actual game studio they were already publicly traded before before puzzle and Dragons hit the Japanese market in early two thousand and twelve and they're still trying but i would I would agree with your assertion that uh, that uh, you know they are not producing enough games. So uh, if I was an investor, or if I was looking at the company, I would also ask myself the same question, why are you not trying more? You know why, sh- why are you not, you know, you're not uh, a prototyping one, just putting games out there and just see if they work? But they d- are not really doing that. With Mixi, it's actually a different story. They also tried uh, to release, and they actually did release a couple of uh, uh, smaller games after Monster Strike. It didn't work. So now Mixi, is, and this is all public information, so now Mixi is w- looking at other businesses. Um, and uh, they want, just as an example, uh, they want to uh, 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 get into uh, uh, gyms. Into sports gyms, you know, where you actual <laughs> physical gyms, and they are saying, well, you know, it kind of still makes sense because we want to uh, uh, put a dash of competition into into that business. Uh, so the idea is that you go inside and then you you uh, you know I don't know you 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 lift weights. And then you know, the next day your friend sees your score and he, he tries to uh, lift more weights. And so they want to have a certain like g- gamify that kind of experience yeah. and believe it or not, they're looking at uh, getting into that physical gym kind of business. Um, and again, imagine Zynga doing that in the US. I mean, it's unthinkable, right? But yeah. uh, here in Japan, I think that, you know, uh, these companies are making so much money and they have trouble uh, with the traditional gaming business that they venture into all sorts of different businesses. But again, Gang Ho is, uh, is not doing that. Got it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember always seeing like Konami and they have like a similar, like uh, di- very diversified businesses that we don't really realize until you look into the details. Uh, yes. It was, it was right. interesting. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, so I'd love to sort of go a little bit deeper on the, the local companies. Um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, companies like Square Enix and a lot of these are familiar to people, but, um, you know, who are the sort of biggest players in the market and has that sort of stayed consistent over the last couple of years as the market has, um, you know, people have had difficulty having re- replicate replicating success, you know, we talked about green DNA. Yeah, would just love to hear your sort of overview of where things are at. And what are the companies that you know, have come and gone and what are the ones sort of at the top right now
2: sure sure uh, so i would say that uh, that if if you look at uh, you know the mobile game industry from uh, uh, you know from a helicopter perspective i think you can you can uh, um, think about it as as a pyramid it's very different in the us because in the diff- in the us you don't have that many publicly traded mobile game companies um, and in, in here in japan i would say the top layer is around uh, consists of two groups so one is the, uh, is the traditional video game developers. We have around seven or eight of them that are publicly traded. Nintendo, Sega, Konami, Capcom. They, uh, they, all of them, including Nintendo, uh, do uh, mobile games. So that's one part of the, of the top of the pyramid. The other part is around six to seven purely mobile game, uh, 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 game companies that purely focus on mobile, uh, on mobile gaming, on smartphone gaming. Uh, for example, uh, Mixi, Gangho. Uh, Colopol the uh, you know uh, the company that uh, that I just uh, mentioned um, and these are large cap companies so uh, 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 their market value is uh, uh, one billion or even higher um, so you' be talking about I think up to four or five billion or something like that, and you have around five to six of them. Uh, so you have that kind of small elite group on the top of the pyramid that sits on these uh you know legacy console business uh, ips and the other group has uh, consists of uh, companies that had uh, you know the one or the other big um, you know mobile first uh, uh, game success a couple of years ago and then there's a middle then the, in the middle of the in the middle of the pyramid you have uh the, the, the publicly traded uh, companies that I mentioned before so if you take out the ones that we talk about there are about around thirty of them. Uh, so they're like these mid-sized publicly traded mobile game focused uh, companies that we have in Japan. And then on the bottom of the pyramid, there's a huge container uh, where the pri- uh, private uh, you know, studios are uh, located. And I would say you have uh, several hundred of them excluding outsourcing and excluding, you know, companies that are focused on uh, servicing uh, on life operations of, of mobile games, et cetera, et cetera. Purely companies that are actually, uh, you know, creating games from A to Z and push them into the market. You probably have several hundred of them. Um, and then you have another, another container, so, so to speak, in that, in, that, in that bottom container that consists of the foreign game companies that come uh, into the Japanese market. And that container has been, has been uh, growing bigger and bigger over the last couple of years. Interesting.
1: Okay. And so basically, if we look over uh, sort of, you know, the last four or five years, it seems like, um, you know, you, so you still would put like a mixie and a, uh, in in that top bucket, even though they haven't sort of been able to replicate um, any
2: sort of, you know, additional hit just because the scale is still so big. Yes. But, I mean the scale and the uh, what do you call it the mind share is just still so big you know everybody here here in Japan you know, there's 130 million people are living here right it's the uh, uh, you know Japan is the tenth biggest uh, country by population so it's a huge it's a huge domestic market that we have here um, that's why you can make so much money you know just by operating the game in one in one country um, and apart you know from uh, apart from uh, the Japanese uh, being the the, the highest uh, spenders in terms of ARPPU uh, so you have uh, you know they spend a lot of money on on, on uh, Japanese people spend a lot of money on mobile games. So if you have a spender, you, 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 they spend a lot. Um, and uh, Mixi and Gangho, I would still call them absolutely the elite because of the scale uh, of of the audience that they have, because of the mindshare that they're controlling, and uh, of course also because of the market value. Okay, got it.
1: Um, and in terms of like looking into the future, uh, you know, who do you see as being sort of best positioned for for success? I mean, we talk about. You know, you talk about puzzles and dragons and, and monster strike being able to sustain for a long time. But, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, can that, do you think that can change quickly with the right, you know, new content in the market, or do you think that these kind of things can coexist, even if you know, the new, new titles come in and who, and, and, and who do you think is best positioned based on their strategy,
2: um, for, for new content in the mobile space? Right. Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, globally speaking, it's, it's been a, a, you know, a very hot topic for a long, long time that the top of the grossing charts are always like cemented. You know, you see, see always the same guys, always the same companies and always the same, you know, titles, et cetera, et cetera. I would say that this is more true in Japan than anywhere else. Uh, just talking about Asia now, um, you know, if you look at the Korean market, you know, if there's a new MMORPG in town, you know, people right. are like switching over. Right. and they, they, uh, and you know that's why you see a lot of flow uh, in in the top gro- at the top of the grossing charts, uh, you know, in in Korea. It's um, you know to some extent it's similar it's similar in China, but here in Japan, so many. Ge- Triple A mobile games, you know, with the biggest IPs that you can think of, came and went, came and went, came and went. Over the last eight years, you have to say now, if you look at Puzzle and Dragons, for example, which is over like uh, uh, seven years and eleven months old now um, at, at the point of this interview. Um, and uh, uh, but you know, these two uh, these two games in particular, they've been holding uh, they've been holding uh, you know their positions for such a long time now. They're still you know printing money for the for the studios every day. Um, and I would say that uh, I would say that you know these games became a uh, part of a uh, lifestyle uh, for a lot of okay. japanese people and uh, it looks to me that uh, uh, japanese users are more loyal uh, more engaged uh, you know when they, if they if they see if they see a, a game that kind of like fits their lifestyle that you know fits how they how they think about games that you know is you know according to their taste uh, they stick to it and uh, uh, and I think that uh, in, in, the, in the past couple of years, uh, there's been, um, of course, you know, new games, new games came, came into the market. Uh, but if you look at the top 10, uh, you know, top grossing, uh, you know, uh, apps um, in 2018 or also for that matter in 2019, very, very uh, few of these apps are actually new.
1: Got it. Got it. And from a company perspective, then, I mean, is there any companies that you think are best positioned um, or seems like it's not necessarily it's kind of usual suspects since there isn't a lot of change uh, that you can anticipate?
2: Uh, um, yeah, I think that you know, uh, for the private uh, companies that I mentioned earlier, you know, that are kind of like on the bottom of that pyramid, it's going to be very, very difficult. I think you know, uh, the, the production costs are rising. Uh, so if you ask any any Japanese uh, game developer now, uh, the you know the benchmark is usually uh, usually ten million dollars. Uh, for a trip i'm um, not not you know for a, you know for a casual puzzle game or something like that i'm talking about a triple a kind of role playing game experience for the version 1.0 that you you can push into the market um it's it's around 9 to 10 million us what a lot of people are also publicly actually actually sharing with uh, uh sharing with other people um and you know you, you cannot play that game anymore if you're a private if you're a private game company and that's also one of the reasons why even companies like gango and mixi are not you know they're they not able apparently to push out five games and see what sticks or doesn't stick. That was oh, uh, that was possible uh, a couple of years ago but nowadays it's a lot more uh, difficult also because the marketing costs are rising here in Japan you know without tv commercials you cannot land a, uh, land a big hit nowadays it's not pro- uh, it's not possible. But to answer your question more concretely I would say it's still one of uh, if there's a next hit i think it's going to come uh, from one of the top uh, uh, companies that i mentioned that are on the top of the pyramid i think that even even in the middle layer it's going to be really 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 difficult uh, i think that you know on paper nintendo is the best positioned company to do uh, uh, to to land a big hit but apparently the company's management is uh, focusing on the switch now they are really not really focusing on mobile
1: Okay, interesting. Yeah, well, I'm going to go to Nintendo next, but one because one quick other comment because I was surprised to hear you say that Kolopol, which you know had some very successful games, they're actually having to partner with you know a larger company. My assumption is because of the the cost structure to launch to build and launch these games would be one of the reasons that they wouldn't do it on their own. But that would you say that's true for like the the Dragon uh, Quest Walk game?
2: Yeah, I think there's two things about this. One thing is that Kolopol had a string of flops. Uh, okay. you know recently and you know they were they were focusing on the on the on on VR for a long time for about 2 years or something like that and that came from the management that came from the CEO it's a very good developer uh, but i think that you know they kind of like lost their way in the last uh, two, uh, two two to i would say 2 to 3 years the market value as like if you look at the stock price it just cratered until until Dragon Quest worked, they got destroyed by the market, by the stock market, uh, because of that string of flops that they produced. People were, thought that you know they're out, um, and I think that uh, when uh, Square Enix uh, you know approached them you know with that with that kind of idea, they just jumped on it because they have very good talent inside the company, um, and uh, uh, I think that the second point is that Square Enix is very famous for outsourcing developer uh, development uh, to other uh, game companies. It's a very unique company. For, uh, in, it's a very unique uh, company in that way. So a lot of the a lot of the games when you know when you use uh, uh, you know um, certain services you know to check uh, to check one kind of uh, uh, apps uh, you know Square Enix is operating in japan so Square, as you know Square Enix is, a pu- is appearing as the publisher but the development Yep. Very, very few games are actually developed by Square Enix. Uh, so, Dragon Quest Walk is by Kolopil. Uh, the various Final Fantasy games that are out, uh, free to play Final Fantasy games out, are co- from companies like Gumi, for example. Um, and uh, for, uh, for Square Enix, Kolopil is just a random partner. I think they would also have uh, uh, partnered up with Gumi if Kolopil uh, uh, would have uh, uh, told them no. Got it. Okay, so yeah, before we, we, we want to jump
1: into sort of the content trends. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously you want to talk a little bit about Nintendo, I think from the mobile gaming side, everyone's kind of wondering what's going on. They're trying lots of different stuff, you know, coming from a market, uh, like Japan, which is so focused on, you know, S monetization and, and, you know, but they're sort of seem to be trying other stuff. would love to hear your comments. What you see happening around the mobile side for Nintendo, um, or not happening, I guess too. And then, would you know any comments around sort of the obviously other parts of the business, the Switch, and, and anything else you think is is interesting to to talk about?
2: Sure. So 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 I think that you know in uh, in March two thousand fifteen, you know Nintendo uh, announced their entry into mobile with DNA as the as the mobile partner. I was at the press conference. It was five minutes away from uh, from where I'm speaking to you right now. I was in the press con- conference. I was sitting in the second row, and I couldn't believe my eyes. Um, and uh, that Nintendo is finally getting into mobile. I, so, so here's what I think. I think that uh, Nintendo is not taking mobile seriously, and I can I can I can also tell you why. You know, now it's January 2020. As I mentioned, you know, the the announcement initial announcement was from is from March uh, f- 2015, and I believe the number of free to play games uh, that Nintendo published by now is uh, five. And I think that, you know, this tells you everything that you want to know about Nintendo's mobile ambitions. I think they are comp- not completely, but almost completely focused on making uh, the Switch a platform uh, and you know, making that an even bigger success going forward and, you know, and nurturing that kind of uh, uh, that side of their business. I think that inside the, uh, mobile, and I, I believe it's not hyperbole when I say that it looks like uh, mobile is viewed uh, as kind of a stepson. Uh, in terms of in terms of business by uh, by nintendo and you know as as another example, you know Nintendo launched um a M- a Mario Kart Tour as their big game as their, you know assuming like a big game in fall last year and now it 's January two thousand and twenty and you know that game still doesn 't have a multiplayer mode it 's absolutely ridiculous right it's a multiplayer game that Nintendo launched uh, without a multiplayer mode and it 's still not implemented um and uh, at this point, uh, at, the, at the point of the recording, nobody even knows what Nintendo's uh, next mobile, uh, mobile game is going to be. They haven't announced anything. So public, on, from a public perspective, uh, the, Nintendo's uh, uh, pipeline is empty uh, uh, with regards to the mobile business. I, again, I think, that, uh, I think that if you want to be extremely friendly to them, you can say there's a lot of upside for Nintendo on mobile. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Okay, got it. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Obviously, historically, the platform sort of strategy was, you know, I think maybe that's why they held out so long uh, on the smartphone side. For but, um, Cool. JK, do you want to jump into some of the content distribution Uh, trends?
0: You kind of uh, mentioned a bit in terms of what some of the popular genres were, but I thought we could dig into that in a little bit more detail. And so with respect to both mobile and, and maybe also... Console, could you talk about what are key genres, themes, art styles that tend to resonate the most in the Japanese market? And to your point about the market being a little bit stagnant, maybe it hasn't been changing a lot. Is it basically RPG, gotcha collection?
2: I think that, uh, you know, uh, by far, uh, the number one genre is uh, role-playing games. Um, and this is true for console and uh, and uh, for mobile gaming. Um, and uh, you know, I've asked my friends why. You know, why is role-playing games so? I'm not Japanese. You know, I've been living in Japan for a long time, but obviously, I'm not. Uh, I've not you know been brought up. Uh, you know, uh, um, you know, been educated under the, under the Japanese system. You know, I was born and raised in in Germany. Um, uh, so I asked my friends you know, why are you, why are Japanese people like so focused on role-playing games? And they told me, you know, look, we like stories, we like characters, we like narratives, et cetera, et cetera. I told you, yeah, what well, everybody does. And they told me, yeah, but for us, you know, uh, it's escapism because our life is so structured. There's so many authorities around us all the time. You know, there's our boss, there's our, uh, you know, our, our teacher at, at school and, uh, you know, our university professor. And we won't, want to escape that kind of like harsh, uh, you know harsh uh, business world, for example, you know when you're an office worker, you want to go um, you know and uh, get into the metro and play monster strike um, right. or play, uh, puzzle and dragons you know right. with all of these shiny characters and you know escape into that kind of world so that's that's basically the the best uh, the best explanation I heard about why that uh, why that genre is so popular in japan, but again it it it's the same for uh, for consoles as well it's not only uh, on 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 mobile um, and i think I think what uh, what uh, you know in terms of uh, mechanics. I think after all of these years, uh, collection is still a big one. I mean, right. the reason why people are playing uh, Fate Grand Order, Monster Strike, Puzzle and Dragons, it's not about the puzzle or the pinball or the, you know, kind of like uh, fighting game kind of, kind of mechanics uh, or the role-playing kind of game kind of mechanics that are all, all of these games. I think it's about, uh, uh, you know, collecting characters. Um, and uh, and specifically about collecting characters uh, via gacha. That's a completely different culture in terms of uh, gaming culture. Uh, when you uh, when you compare that w- when you compare that with the West,
0: certainly in terms of themes, I think even in the West, fantasy tends to be number one. I would assume it's number one in Japan. But are there any other sorts of themes, whether it's you know sci-fi or pirates or you know ninjas or whatever, that tend to do better in Japan as well? uh yeah so so
2: ninjas and you know uh, shogun and you know all of these all of these uh, imageries or uh, all of these uh, kind of like uh, uh, you know um uh, themes are not really popular in Japan, you know, and that's why I always tell, uh, you know, because some of my clients think, you know, they, they, they can uh, put some of their characters into, uh, you know, uh, into, ninja, into ninja suits and then, you know, that would actually appeal to the Japanese market. Uh, that, that, that never works, right? That absolutely never works. Uh, in Japan, I would say uh, it's uh, really a very fantasy driven, you know, if you look at the app store icons, right? I mean, look at the app store icons here in Japan, look at the top grossing charts, look at the app store icons, uh, the all dragons, a uh, hey. girl or guys that look like girls. Right, okay. like androgynous, androgynous characters. It's really, it's really, really interesting. Completely different from from the West, where you have like barbarians with you know their eyes with the eyes and their, and their mouths wide open. You know the typical right. like cliché yeah. kind of like Clash of Clans kind of like uh, icons. Um, it's really really interesting. So it's 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 uh, very, of course obviously very anime driven. So so the imagery is very very different from from the more kind of like uh, cartoony realistic, uh, sometimes even realistic looking uh, uh, you know uh, you know themes and imageries that we have in the West. Um, but uh, yeah, it's very very unique, in, yeah, we, oh, uh, the, the taste is very unique in Japan.
0: In terms of any innovation, whether it comes to gameplay or monetization, you you mentioned Knives Out, which would be kind of different from your typical RPG, Gacha collection type of game. Is that is that more of an outlier, or are there other forms of innovation coming into the to the gaming market?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, people are trying, right? I mean, people are trying with uh, different uh, different sorts of uh, different sorts of uh, uh, genres. But I think that uh, uh, most of the most of the game uh, game studios in Japan, uh, they're trying to play it safe, and I can kind of understand it because. Uh, because uh, you know uh, the development costs and again the marketing costs are so high nowadays uh, that uh, you know as a, as a as a game creator it's it, it's getting difficult you know to get to, to get a green light for your project if you come up with a with an outlandish kind of with an outlandish kind of uh, you know concept. That's why a Chinese studio NetEase has has uh, is uh, kicking uh, kicking butt here in Japan with with a battle royale game. A Japanese company should have done that. A Japanese right, company right. should have done that, right? I mean, they should have come with a locally made battle royale game and pushed that into the market. Ho or Mixi, for example, they have the resources, right? Uh, right. But uh, but it was actually a Chinese company that brought that kind of like innovation, uh, it, finally a new genre into in, into the into, into into the Japanese into the Japanese mobile gaming market. Um, so I would say to to answer your question more directly, I would say that it's still a lot of role playing games. Um, and the, the games all look the same, to, at least to me. So I don't see I don't see any kind of uh, any kind of uh, you know interesting interesting approaches from uh, you know from production value perspective or from an approach uh, like you know for, for, uh, like new approaches or like new concepts or something like that. Um, it's always uh, more of the same, I would say, from from uh, from uh, from, uh, from uh, Japanese companies. I, I think they're trying to, to play it too safe. This is why I personally believe that over time, uh, you know, the Korean and the Chinese uh, studios uh, that are coming into the Japanese market will take m- even more market share that uh, uh, than, uh, they are, than they have been already taking away from the local developers in the last uh, two to three years. Sorry, one quick follow-up. So
1: would you say the primary driver of the sort of playing it safe is really that high price point when you talk about the 10 million to build a game? Is, is that you think is like the primary reason behind the sort of, Following what we've been doing forever, uh,
2: yeah. I think this is one. The other part is uh, I think the, the Japanese business culture it's it's you know it's like more conservative, more slow moving, you know, less open. I would say to innovation, at least at least in, 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 at least to some extent. Uh, you know, of course, you can make the argument that back then uh, Gang Ho came up with that idea of pushing out a puzzle uh, puzzle and role playing game hybrid. You know, back then it was like uh, never, never. Nobody has has done that before, and the game has actually uh, been created by a person who has never created a, a mobile game before. So he came from Hudson, you know, the the old established uh, video game company uh, that was uh, most famous, I think, in the 1980s. Um, And, you know, that guy was tasked with uh, creating a mobile game and he came up with that innovation. Um, You know, but back then it was an innovation. Nowadays, I would say if you look at the games, um, I think because of the culture that I mentioned, because of the cost factor that I mentioned, and because of the fact that so many of the studios are now publicly traded, um, I think that actually intensified uh, that kind of uh, conservative culture in, in, in these companies that uh, I think that, um, you know, outlandish or like
0: innovative uh, innovative approaches are uh, difficult to find, I would say. Certainly the, the PC console market is smaller in Japan, but... In the West, we, we've got some big hits, like whether it's Fortnite or Apex Legends and games like that. Do those, how do the Japanese react to some of those games? Are they also popular in Japan or are they not hitting very much? It's getting better. It's getting better.
2: Uh, so, uh, so, so, you know, franchises like the ones that you mentioned or Call of Duty, for example, or GTA V. Japanese gamers know them. You know, They appreciate the production value. They appreciate the attention to detail that are in, in, in these games. Um, and I would say that, you know, over the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years, uh, the, Jap- uh, the uh, Western developers have caught up and in many cases actually, uh, you know, taken over. Uh, the, the Japanese uh, console game makers in terms of production value and, you know, uh, uh, the, the way that the games look and uh, the, the way that they play um, and uh, so many great Western games nowadays out. Um, and this, this used to be different, you know, when I was in high school, you know, um, I, in high school, for example, 1990s, you know, Japan was the Mecca. Of, of video games, right? I mean, the best games came from Japan, et cetera, et cetera. That has changed a lot over the last couple of years. And I think that, again, even Japanese users are appreciating that. So when a new Call of Duty comes out, for example, it, it does chart in the video game, uh, in the video game uh, rankings here in, in Japan. People are buying it, but not at that scale. I would say that in video games, it's very similar to uh, mobile games. Local content is by far the most popular.
0: Right. Shifting it a little bit, but talking about kind of marketing, promotion, distribution, I remember from my days at Sega that it did seem like the launches in Japan were different from the West in terms of like not having like a soft launch, for example, and having like a much stronger emphasis on having like a big launch and big promotion and, and that sort of thing. But could you speak to, you know, how the typical, you know, mobile launch happens in Japan? So
2: soft launch is out of the question because, uh, you know, the, the launches have to be in Japan. The games are Japanese only. And Japan is the only country in the world where people are speaking Japanese. Uh, so right. you cannot do soft launch <laughs> yeah, in, in Australia. <laughs> Right, I mean, you cannot really soft launch in Australia or the Philippines yeah. or whatever. That 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 uh, you know that uh, that's not uh, uh, that's not uh, possible, especially for the hyper local games that you know have yeah. Japanese themes and you know things like that. Uh, so what uh, what happened? Uh, uh, I think uh, after after the time that you left Sega was that uh, uh, you know uh, before that before that it was like like you said, you know, big launches, uh, big launches were lo- big games were launched in a big way. Um, you know, sometimes with the TV commercials from day one, you know, on the same day when, you know, the game launched in the app stores, you know, there was a TV commercial kicking off, campaign kicking off. And nowadays, because of, you know, the cost that, you know, we're talking about the rising, what Japanese game companies are doing is, or increasingly doing is, especially for the gig, big games is, they are doing, uh, doing better testing.
0: You know, mm-hmm.
2: so that has never really happened until, Two, three, two and a half years ago, something like that, I think they started really uh, you know picking up steam in late two thousand and eighteen mid two thousand and eighteen that you know the big games uh, were launched after uh, you know after the, the studios uh, operated uh, the game for Two three months with 5,000 people so that has has clearly changed and I, I think this is still the case and then you know it goes back to the studio and then your know, people uh, the studio is tweaking speaking the, the game mechanics like like you would imagine the monetization mechanics like you would imagine, and then you know the, the big launch happens. Nintendo also did the thing uh, did, did the same thing with uh, Mario Kart tour um, uh, so uh, I think that uh, I think that uh, better testing is the escape for uh, uh, for uh, Japanese uh, game companies that cannot do soft launches like Western companies can, uh, can do.
0: Right. And maybe one last question with respect to this section, in terms of like regulatory changes, a number of years back there was that regulation around CompuGacha, for example. Here in the West there seems to be a lot of regulation around collection of data, ad targeting, as well as, you know, social casinos some states are trying to outlaw some of that stuff. Yep. Are, is there any sort of big regulatory or legal thing in Japan that we should be aware of? Uh, yeah, so, so uh, the Kampo Gacha scandal in
2: 2012 was the bi- uh, was the big and so far only scandal you know um, that revolves around around mobile gaming. After that came and you know the government uh, uh, forced uh, forced the studios to self-regulate themselves. Uh, you know the public discussion has died down. Of course, you know that you, you will always find the one of the other journalist or the one of the the other critical blogger you know speaking about about mobile gaming monetization, about Gacha mechanics being unfair and you know and being you know potentially illegal and things like that. But the big discussion has never really taken place after 2012. So it has been for a long, long time, very, very quiet. Uh, this is also something to do with the fact that social casino games in the West are big. You know, there are some developers that are huge in the West, as you as you know, um, uh, that only do social ga- uh, casino games. Here in Japan, uh, social casino, of course, there are social casino games, but almost nobody's playing them so the genre is a little bit like hyper casual you know there are people uh, you know that are, are playing uh, you know social casino games but it's not really a big segment of the of, of the market so the uh, the uh, the you know the, uh, the the urgency is just not there to actually deal with the subject because of that uh, lack of popularity uh, uh, i would say that uh, uh, that in japan we are still very very far away from the regulation, uh, regulation that you see in china for example or in, even korea where where the gaming industry is heavily regulated, not only in terms of monetization, but also in terms of engagement. Uh, So just uh, a couple of days ago, the first prefecture here in Japan, um, you know, has, um, is trying to get some regulation on its way. Uh, You know, they're trying to limit the time uh, that, uh, you know, mobile games can be played by minors. Uh, But so far, you know, you can play as many games, even as a minor, as many games in Japan as you want um, and uh, spend as much money as you want, without uh, the game or the studio or you know uh, anybody is stopping you. Very very liberal at this point.
1: Actually, so first, sorry, one follow-up question on the marketing side. So, you know, uh, my assumption is sort of this game launch scale is you know you see you know I, I make the analogy of like a movie release in the U.S. is kind mm-hmm. of this. I mean, you talked about maybe like a ten million dollar development budget. I mean. Uh, My assumption is they're probably spending that or more potentially on marketing to launch those games. Can you have any sort of range in terms of what you are hearing or seeing around these marketing budgets for these sort of AAA
2: mobile games? Uh, Yeah, so if you really have a big AAA mobile game, like Dragon Quest Walk, for example, um, I think that it's in the millions U.S., when, when the, the initial launch campaign uh, you know usually these games uh, these really big not every mobile game you know launches in japan in a big way there's just too many of them as well uh, but uh you know uh, if you really talk about a really triple a mobile game like just like dragon quest walk for example uh you know uh, I, I think that a tv commercial campaign is inevitable um and uh, you know a couple of years ago uh you know uh, there was one a study where you know where, where you know people looked at the top 50 grossing games in japan that don't use TV commercials, you know, as as a, as a as a UA channel. And I think the number was only at two or three of them, or something like that. So over ninety percent uh, of of uh, of the games out there that are really making money, that are on the top of the on top of the you know system in terms of uh, you know making money for uh, for uh, for the studios, they're using t- t- TV, um, you know, uh, uh, t- the TV as the as the main channel. That's really difficult to do in the U.S. because in the U.S. you have different time zones. You know, you have all of these different you know cable. Cable TVs uh, uh, cable TV channels and all of these different uh, and it's, a, it's a much much bigger country much much easier to do here in Japan. If you just focus on Tokyo for example, you already have focused on 40 million people that are using public transport transportation all the time and you know that might you know go and download the game and play it uh, on the next day in, in the train um, And for that TV commercial campaigns uh, it's usually one to th- uh, one to two million US. If you want to have a celebrity uh, promoting promoting your game, just like you know King did when they launched uh, Candy Crush here in Japan, they use the celebrity. Um, and people are telling me if you do that, you have to add one million more. Um, you know, as a, as a kind of like ambassador for that game, and then you are like you know for nation a nationwide TV commercial campaign that maybe goes like two weeks or something like that. You know, to 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 accompany the the launch. Probably two or three million or something like that, but also depending on the rotation and how many times you know the frequency of the ads and things like that, and then of course, you have the usual u a channels um, and uh, the biggest u a channels here are mostly mostly uh, very similar to the u s youtube google twitter instagram facebook um, and I think that uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, that 's also also the reason by the way why a lot of the successful uh, not, there's not too many, but you know the successful Western uh, Western developers are mostly controlling UA from their home bases, uh, because uh, the local UA channels that we have here in Japan, like Line, for example, you know the our top messaging application, or you know the one or the other ad network that focuses on uh, focuses on the local ad network that just focuses on focuses on the Japanese uh, on Japanese traffic. Um, you know you don't really need. Uh, these uh, these uh, uh, you know uh, these uh, platforms or these ad channels uh, to to launch a hit in a to launch a game in a big way in, in, in the Japanese market. you can do that all with uh, western uh, with western distribution channels except for TV. Got it
1: okay, great so yeah I think you know obviously a lot of our listeners are in uh, you know the United States or you know some of the western markets and you know they they hear oh Japan, you know Japan it's uh you know top three top five market. Um, and they're obviously very interested in trying to be successful there. So, you know, I think, uh, we've talked a lot about sort of the differences in terms of the content and themes and, um, you know, the genres, but you know, what, you know, I think the key question here is like, you know, what have you seen sort of foreign, like maybe focusing on Western developers do, um, to be successful? Um, you know, I think be curious, you know, what some of the higher profile ones have done to be successful, like Supercell or King. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe if you have any insights around, I always like to say like, you know, sort of more easily accessible, affordable things that you can do to to be successful in Japan, you know, we'd love to kind of hear, you know, both sort of uh, categories. Uh, sure, that. sure.
2: Uh, I mean, I would say that, you know, generally speaking, uh, the, the Japanese market is considered to be a, one of the toughest ones to crack for a good reason. I would say that, you know, uh, I would say that the toughest one to crack, Asian ones, maybe, you, 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 Josh, I know you do a lot of work around this too, but my personal ranking is the, the first one, uh, the, the toughest one to crack is China, uh, then uh, Korea, uh, uh, sorry, then Japan and then Korea. That's, that's, my personal, uh, that's my personal ranking. Uh, and for the Japanese market, uh, I would say that, that you know, um, I want to try, I will try to avoid like, uh, like really like two tough words, but uh, it's almost a blood trail. It's almost a blood trail of Western developers, especially the ones that actually opened offices here. And the biggest one is uh, Zynga. So Zynga came came to the Japanese market. They acquired a, a local a, cl- a local game company. The tragedy of the story is they acquired the absolutely the right one. Um, so I think it's more of a co- more of a coincidence than actual you know analysis and you know actually like uh, you know um, uh, you know a targeted approach by them. But they did acquire the right one. They staffed up. Uh, I think until. 80 people or 90 people or something like that in in, in the local uh, Tokyo studio. And from one week to the next, they uh, closed down the studio because uh, back then the CEO said, you know, the uh, the Japanese market is not so sexy for us anymore. They closed everything down and just went. And I know that because um, one of my friends was uh, their last hire And uh, uh, he got a phone call one day and, you know, somebody told him, you don't, you don't have to be, you don't, you don't have to come to the office on on Monday, uh, you know, because we're not operating the Japan business, uh, the Japan office anymore. So it was a very ad hoc decision by that. So that was, uh, that was the biggest the biggest uh, uh, flop. I think that the second biggest flop was, and I'm not saying that to mock these companies, it's extremely difficult. Uh, I'm just saying that, you know, from a historical perspective, uh, there's a big, big list of uh, uh, companies that have failed in the Japanese market. Again, no mocking at all. Um, and uh, the, the second big one is King. Uh, they also opened the Japan office much more more cautious than Zynga. The m- office was much smaller. And they were talking about creating a Japanese content locally for a local audience for some time. That never happened. They closed down uh, the, uh, the local office uh, a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, uh, weeks ago. Um, and you, know, the, you have also a, a list of uh, a European companies like Wuga, for example, from Germany. Good Games from Hamburg. They all had offices. A Machine Zone has a Japanese entity. In, in here in here in uh, Tokyo, um, and uh, y- you know uh, uh, what I'm trying to say is, Supercell is I think the only uh, Japanese company that has an, uh, that has an office an entity here in Japan that is still kind of doing okay from uh, from uh, to to some to, to some extent they have been doing okay for a long time with Clash of Clans, but uh, what I'm trying to say is from a Western perspective, uh, I I think that I cannot even tell you one a Western company at the moment that has actually established a presence, then cultivated a local user base, you know, um, uh, you know created you know uh, uh, relations with media, with other developers, with publishers, with, uh, with UA channels, and that actually, you know, expanded into a large Japanese, uh, you know, uh, subsidiary. That has actually never really happened. Interesting.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, kind of what my sense of things was that no one's really had, you know, a great success. Um, So it seems like, you know, the strategy you mentioned, obviously from the UA perspective is you can do a lot on the channels that you're used to using and you can do it sitting in, you know, wherever you are uh, in your home base. And that's probably, you know, a pretty good, you know, uh, (laughs) that's a pretty good, pretty safe amount of effort, a pretty good amount of effort in terms of, you know, investing in Japanese market. Um, Is there any other, you know, sort of, Accessible steps someone can take to be more successful in Japan. Besides that, um, maybe from the content or operation side, customer customer support, that kind of stuff.
2: Uh, yeah, I think that you know, from the content perspective, I would say uh, leave your uh, foreign content foreign. You know, don't try to, like, try to Japanese them, you know, make your characters uh, hair blue instead of black or something like that. That does not really work. I think it works in in China to some extent, Uh, you know, if you localize the content there because the gamer culture or the, uh, you know, uh, sophistication of the user base is different. Uh, But uh, the Japanese uh, uh, gamers are extremely critical. Extremely, extremely critical. Very knowledgeable um, about uh, even, even about mobile games. You know, you usually have that have that have that kind of uh, a characterization in the West for console gamers or for, for PC gamers that you know are very active and you know try to uh, try to inform themselves about uh, about the content. But uh, here in Japan, that expands also to mobile users. Uh, so I would say that you know leave the content uh, leave your foreign content foreign. Um, And I think that uh, there are counterexamples to what we talked about earlier. Uh, You know, you don't need to have, so I understand, you know, in some cases, you know, developers want to have a Tokyo office because it's cool. Right, because they want to raise the valuation, because it sounds cool, because they want to have somebody here, you know, that that takes care of, of their business. I understand that. Again, I'm not mocking at all. Uh, is, uh, uh, um, uh, and uh, i think that uh, i think though that you don't need to do that when you want to become when you want to be successful in the, in the japanese market it also depends on what you define as successful do you want to have like a multimillion dollar hit or do you want to have an roi uh, you know roi positive um, effort when it comes to the japanese market i can give you one uh, current uh, up to date example um, and you know these guys have been doing a terrific job for one to two years at least now in the japanese market And i can say that because i never worked them. So they did that completely independently. Unfortunately, they never asked me. And it's Playrix. So Playrix. Uh, so I always tell clients, you know, look what Playrix has been doing. Look at play, what, what these guys have been doing and do exactly the same thing that they have been doing in the Japanese market. And, um, and, uh, and uh, uh, there's a good example for you on how to do things right, at least in my perspective, as a Western mobile game developer in the Japanese market. So, so, I don't, I don't know, what are they doing? What are the kind of cu- couple of things that they're doing really well? Yeah, I think that they're not go- going crazy. That's, uh, th- that's point one, you know, they're just applying common sense. They, you know, they're not coming here with 20 people opening an office and, you know, uh, and saying, you know, we are the best, we are, we are trying to teach you how things are done. Uh, you know, and th- you know, things like that. I think that they are, um, uh, very, uh, very, very focused, um, and they are doing, uh, you know, UA again i'm not i'm not working with them so it's it's my assumption uh that my strong assumption that they are doing at least most of the ua maybe not all but most of the ua locally at their not here in japan but at their at their home base yeah. um and uh i'm sure that they are because uh, you know uh, the, the games are so their games are so scaled right now i'm sure that they have some kind of collaboration partner for for the ua side of things uh, but it looks to me like uh, most of the activities are controlled by playrix themselves um, and uh, what they did is they left the foreign content foreign. So there's not an, not even a, a, you know a pixel that has been uh, you know changed for the for the Japanese market, ex- except for the translation of the text, of course. Um, and they're very very successful with it. You know these guys these guys uh, are uh, charting with uh, gardenscapes, with homescapes, and you know with that uh, with that with that kind of series of uh, of uh, of uh, Japanese uh, of um, of of their of their IP that they are sitting on. And I think. I think what they did very well is they understood that they're actually bringing something new to the table, right? So uh, the, the games like that uh, have not really existed in the Japanese market, believe it or not. Um, just like you know, NetEase brought Battle Royale to to the Japanese audience. Uh, Playrix brought that kind of like uh, that kind of like hybrid games uh, to to the Japanese market, um, and uh, you know the graphics are still foreign, but not not too far away from the Japanese taste. So they kind of like found a sweet spot. In terms of uh, a genre, a fit, a fit, a fitting the genre and fitting the graphics uh, and fitting the gameplay into these into these I- into that kind of uh, into that kind of uh, uh, Japanese uh, uh, you know user base that we have here, very very clever, uh, very very, uh, very clever company. Uh, at least when it comes to the Japanese market.
1: Yeah, no, that's interesting because I think one of my hypotheses, you know, for you know, it's a similar thing in Korea where you see you know every all the games follow the same sort of you know genre strategy is that. You know i think people feel like they have to fit within those that sort of uh you know rpg or whatever it is but there actually is more of an appetite for some of these other types of gameplay experiences um and that's where i think the foreign companies have an opportunity right because they can take those they're doing different stuff and, and can can take those risks so we're getting getting towards the end here but i've you know we talked about netties uh and knives out would love to hear i mean i think two questions one is what is, what, you know, why is that working?
0: If I can interject one question yeah. and do, do they have a local office in Japan to service knives out as, as well? Sorry, sorry. To yeah, so I, Go ahead.
1: yeah. So Nettie is like,
2: why is that, you know, what are they doing to make that work so well? Uh, yes, so it's a couple of things. Uh, they have, they do have an office. I mean, it's, it's as you know, it's a huge publicly traded uh, company in in China. For them, it's not a big deal, you know, to open to open an office and you know hire some people locally. It's not really, it's just like a drop in the ocean for them from a cost perspective. And uh, uh, but uh, 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 you know, uh, knives out was not their first game in Japan. So one point is to to to, to uh, Josh's uh, Josh's uh, Josh's question is uh, that they had experience in the, in the Japanese market before launching knives out. Not too much, but but you know they've been operating games for uh, you know for a while here in Japan before that game came out the second point is timing you know uh, you know knives out was the first battle royale game on mobile uh, that launched here, here in Japan, before Fortnite, before PUBG came, and before any of the now there, are, there's a whole pool of them. Um, and uh, so it was, t- uh, you know, um, the experience, the initial like limited, but still some experience uh, uh, running, uh, running games, launching and running games in Japan. Uh, the timing and as, as a third, the quality of the game. It's actually a very well-made uh, battle royale game. My, per- it's not my personal favorite. My personal favorite is Fortnite. Um, and uh, Apex Legends on uh, console, just as a side note, but uh, it's it's a very well done uh, battle royale game, optimized optimized for mobile phones, and I believe that NetEase understood. Um, you know, they applied common sense. They understood. They launched the game. It caught on, and then because NetEase is a Chinese company, they operated with China speed, not with Japan speed, but with China speed. And they just threw money at the problem, right? They just launched, uh, launched the game. They saw it's working. They saw it rising in the top grossing rankings in Japan. What they did was they, uh, you know, they. Uh, Super aggressively marketed the game, so there's t- TV commercial campaigns. Uh, you know, of course, the typical UA channels on the online, and what they also did is they uh, brought uh, marketing offline, right? So they had a very Japanese uh, approach. So the game is Chinese, but uh, y- UA is totally Japanese. Very aggressive TV again. TV commercials. Uh, to give you one example. They had, an offline, uh, they had an offline event for fans of the game where I think a couple of hundred people came. Uh, in the US, people would say, you know, this is not scalable. Why are you even doing this? You know, like, you know, you, you rent a hall and, you know, you invite 200 fans of the game. They play games to, uh, with each other. And, you know, what's even the point? In Japan, you know, this is called fan service. Right. So uh, they did that. They invited people, uh, you know, people from the media and people from the media like started covering the game and very, very Japanese uh, uh, kind of like marketing, uh, um, uh, marketing games. And they, uh, they've they been doing that uh, for, uh, for quite a while now. Um, and uh, I think that uh, I think that, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think they basically operated. I think that the uh, operated the. Uh, and are still operating the game just like a local, just like a local game studio. Just a very, very well-made, uh, uh, you know, effort from from NetEase for that game.
1: Got it. And so uh, it seems My sense is that the opportunity for when we talk about foreign companies, there's a pretty strong opportunity for foreign, if you will, com- companies in Asia. So especially Korea and China. Um, you know, uh, there's we were looking at the top grossing charts. There's uh, you know a few titles in there. There's you know Six Waves that brought over a uh, you know Chinese game that's done pretty well. So, can you talk a little about like kind of what's happening there? Is the content just more relevant? I mean, obviously you know people think of Asia and this, if you don't know enough, you sort of assume you know oh it's one you know market. But the reality is like between the the countries, a lot of themes are very very different. But does it have more potential from the theme side? Are they just executing better? the games, you know, resonate better? With, you know, what is it? Why is that opportunity greater, I think, from the Korean Chinese companies um, and how have they been able to sort of make inroads where the Western, Western developers haven't?
2: Right, right. I think that you know, if you look at, if you think about the uh, Asian market, there's no Asian market, right? I mean, I know Josh, you know that, but uh, and I, know, I, I think that a lot of also the listeners know that, but uh, uh, but I think that Japan, China, Korea are very very different from each other, and then there's also the Southeast Asia bucket, and even in Southeast Asia, uh, you know it's not really all the same vietnam yeah. philippines you know and you know all of these countries they are not really uh, you know the same kind of gaming markets there's a lot of differences between even the, uh, even that uh, inside that part of the of the region i think that the answer to your question is that you know these uh, uh, these game uh, these uh, studios that are coming from these countries are operated by people and uh, that are culturally uh, historically geographically also from a business per- uh, culture perspective they're closer to the japanese market Right, so they know. Uh, you know, uh, I think that there's a certain understanding that the understanding of uh, the Japanese culture is uh, stronger for a you know random J- a Chinese person or somebody from Hong Kong or from Korea. They know uh, Japan just better than uh, you know a Western uh, a Western person would just because of the reasons that I uh, uh, that, that I mentioned. Another point is I think that if you look at uh, uh, the the way that uh, you know Chinese and Korean games are presented, uh, you know. The, the graphics uh, and you know game mechanics also very RPG heavy, for example, it's just closer to the, uh, to, to the typical uh, Japanese uh, experience. And if I may add this very quickly, because I think it's important, um, you know, the monetization is also a lot closer uh, to what we have here here, here in, in Japan. We talked briefly about the uh, gacha. You know, I would say that uh, a lot of Chinese games and Korean, uh, Korean-made games have gacha as their main monetization mechanic, and that just works in Japan. In Japan, I would say that the discussion is flipped on on uh, on its head. So in the West, you know, people are are thinking that you know, gacha as from a user perspective, you know, users are thinking that it's a predatory uh, kind of mechanics in some cases. Not not every every user thinks that, but it's uh, unfair. It's like uh, too much like gambling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Here in Japan, I would make the case that uh, people expect gacha in their mobile games, and this is something that uh, that uh, Chinese and uh, Korean g- uh, games are are uh, you know are implementing right and you know they just export that monetization together with the games to the uh, to the uh, uh, to the japanese market and again i believe that it's it's a mix between uh, you know understanding of 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 the japanese market uh, better um and closer monetization mechanics game mechanics uh, genres are closer imagery is closer uh, it's it's more similar um and i think that they do have a certain uh, advantage when it comes to these points got it okay so last
1: question here before you wrap up, you know, we talked about, you know, foreign companies coming into Japan. Um, we've talked about the, you know, local companies focusing on local users. So what about, you know, the Japanese uh, publishers focuses, you know, out of market? Um, you know, we talked about DNA and GREE and how that was a whole sort of fiasco, but you know, mm-hmm. where, where are things at now? Are they, is there any sort of, efforts to sort of you know focus internationally and you know what are what are companies doing my sense is that Not not a lot, but I'd love to hear from you what where things are at and what you're seeing.
2: Uh, yeah. So uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I think that one big point is that you know they're taking the international uh, internationalization efforts back into the into the HQ here uh, here in in Japan. I think that uh, a lot of the ca- game companies have done that over the last couple of years. The second big point to your question is uh, that uh, the interna- uh, the international internationalization efforts have been scaled back. So just because you know bring, you bring back the interna- internationalization efforts to your home base doesn't mean that you know the uh, the, the level of internationalization goes down. But I think it did um, over the last over the last uh, couple of years. So you have a lot less titles and a lot less work, uh, you know, that is being invested uh, into bringing games uh, in, into bringing games outside of Japan. And as a third point, uh, you know, which a little bit contradicts to what I just said, but only to some extent is that the internationalization in recent years have has, has been focused on uh, Asia. So you now have a lot more game companies here in Japan that are focusing on Korea, and on China and uh, some of the uh, some of the Southeast Asian uh, markets at, at the expense of uh, at the expense of the West and increasingly, uh, if I may, add this quickly, India is getting into into focus for a lot of game developers. So Square Enix uh, CEO just recently said, I think just last week, he said that uh, he sees he identified internally at Square Enix they identified uh, you know uh, India as the next big uh, frontier uh, for uh, for growth for their mobile and maybe even for their uh, for their PC and uh, console games
1: interesting JK any questions before we do the final the final word here no it all, all sounds great awesome all right so sirkin you know obviously we've we've talked about a lot of different stuff you know for our listeners what are kind of uh, the t- what are the top three takeaways that you think uh, you know people should take away that they need to understand about the Japanese gaming market um, if they can only take away three things what what would you make sure people people remember
2: if you allow me to uh, say, say it, maybe in one sentence, uh, you know, uh, it's I think it's uh, uh, Japan is a very competitive market. But it, I think that if you do it as a Western developer, if you do it in a clever way, there are still opportunities uh, uh, here in, in the Japanese market as, ex- as exemplified by companies like Playwix, for example, or, you know, or, uh, you know, other companies like Peak from uh, Turkey. Uh, you know which is also doing a pretty good job uh in in uh in operating uh, their big game toonblast here on the japanese market so it's not impossible got it awesome well,
1: thank you so much thank for uh for joining us
0: yeah thank you so much for your time sir khan definitely appreciate it no problem it. thank you awesome. thank you guys All right. bye bye, bye, bye.